0: But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live
1: from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh.
0: All right, wherever you are, however you're listening, hey, it's America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and Tobias Wright. We are live on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago, and that means you can be one of our listeners who gets to have their say live on the air. Hey, call us, 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. We'll be taking calls in our second segment on the show tonight called the two-minute drill 847-866-9687 all right tonight we go inside the huddle with stage director and co-host of the indie opera podcast walker lewis he joins us to talk directing talk opera talk being a dad and then at the bottom of the hour it's the home team Grammy Award-winning baritone Daniel Teet joins us. Find out how a rising star cashed in to teach, give concerts, and also focus on being a father. Plus, it's the two-minute drill. All the opera headlines from the past week that you need to know our hot takes on them. Oliver Camacho and Tobias Wright.
2: So you had my microphone turned off so nobody could hear me squeal when you told us that Toby was gonna be joining us. Squeal like a girl. Yeah, so Toby's actually in the studio. I'm here, and you're doing some. You're doing colonics. What is it again? You're calling it? <laughs> kenosis, kenosis.
3: I'm on a diet because George, George and I are working on a project together where I have to be uh, shirtless on stage. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> so
2: I'm trying, trying to uh, cut down it down a little bit. <laughs> Oh my God. You're looking dude. really good. It's, it's so good it's to nice, be around you guys. It's nice and to be have here. another singer in the studio finally again <laughs> after so long. Because actually, what we, we need. What we all need. we've had is singers. More but today opinions. we have, we have Smith's not a singer coming on. So no. Ex- yeah. no, thank God we're getting a stage director. That's <laughs> yeah, great. Somebody with sense.
0: Uh, <sighs> hey, you know, Toby, we'll catch up with you in a little bit. <laughs> we'll do good. a little bit of sports talk in the uh, second uh, segment of the show. But uh, I want to make sure that we get to the uh, the good stuff here first. Huddle
1: up. Let's go inside the huddle.
0: Walker Lewis's work encompasses opera, music theater, and theater from the broke to the present. His moving and visually striking productions have breathed fresh life into classics and have also created thrilling world premieres. His unique perspective on performance stems from his varied international career as a director, actor, classical singer, dancer, he lived in Hungary for two years and he's performed and directed across Europe and in Japan. Hey, Walker Lewis, thank you so much for being on the show.
4: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Thank you, sir. Um, hey, so you and I met in, oh my gosh, 2013, I think it was, right? At the Opera yeah. America Conference?
5: Yes, yes. Uh huh. And in Vancouver, um, right? Say that again. Vancouver.
0: In Vancouver of all places. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We had both been selected as winners of the Opera America Director Designer competition and remind me what your show was. Drink. Uh,
5: are you guys are you guys drinking we no, take
2: drink. whenever george like bigs himself up we have to like just take a shot <laughs> whenever
3: <himself>. george just <laughs> brags about all where all over the world he's been and what he's done we take a drink
5: <laughs> this sounds good we, we gotta get some drinking on our podcast you guys are, you guys are geniuses <laughs> um yeah it was a rise and fall of the city of mahogany
0: ah yes kurt vile
5: And yours was Silent Night, is that right?
0: Silent Night, Kevin Putz, and Mark Campbell, the librettist. So what have you been doing since those amazing days in Vancouver? Give us a a highlight.
5: Uh, Vancouver Nights, yes.
2: Um, (laughs) They have (laughs) nude beaches there. I'm sure that's where you guys enjoyed your evenings.
5: Of course, of course. Um, Actually, I did get to work with with Mark Campbell um, on um, a new opera called The Whole Truth. Um, which was by Mark Mark Campbell and Rob Patterson, from the American Modern Ensemble, mm-hmm. and uh, it was fun. It was it was a one act opera, and it was um, it was actually done as a double bill with an opera by Stuart Copeland, who you you interviewed. Recently, right? Stuart
0: was kind of quote on the show a couple of weeks ago. He was in town at Chicago Opera Theater, and I got a chance yeah. to sit down with him. You yeah, got a chance he, to to work with him.
5: Yeah, he is he is. Such a fun guy to work with. It was it was one of his first operas, I think. It might have been it might have been his first. It was first or second. It was called. It was based on the um, the Poe short story "Cast of a Right. And um, he was just great because he's just you know he's just like the opposite of of a classical music snob. You know he he doesn't claim to know anything that he doesn't know. Like if, if there's anything that he's unsure about, he's like you guys just figure it out well will just, we'll just make it work <laughs> it was just he was just so so refreshing to work with he was like very laid back he just wanted things to work out and we you know we had of course there was a drummer in in the orchestra the drummer was absolutely terrified you know having to play. You know, Stuart Copeland in front of Stuart Copeland. Oh my
0: God, that guy was peeing his pants. Probably.
5: Uh, actually, it was a woman. <laughs> it was a woman playing a drum and uh, and uh, peeing her he skirt. Was, he was he was so he was so chill. It was just it was just really fun to work
0: with him. Oh my God, that's a fantastic story. Uh, what are you working on currently, or what's coming up next for you?
5: Right now, and I've got I've got a summer of Mozart coming up, so I'm mm, directing that's a good uh, summer. Boo- Marriage of Figaro and Magic Flute um, for um, this company in New York called uh, Manhattan Opera Studio, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be in the old DiCapo Opera Theater. Mm. And uh, and then coming up in in October, I'm working on this very odd, um, shouldn't say odd, (laughs) very it it, is like a unique, unique, (laughs) um, new new opera called the B opera, it's by a composer named Sarl Haynes and it's gonna to be touring to Slovenia and Macedonia. Um and it's what's what's interesting about this opera is that it doesn't have a plot. It ha, it has no linear arc to it. Whoa. So so it's like in in fact you could you could even do all of the scenes in any order you wanted. Kind kind of like a it's, I mean it's almost in some ways more more like a cabaret or like a like a circus.
4: Right. Um,
5: but there are there's duets and trios and arias, um, and it's and it's basically just about bees, about the life of bees. But 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 in you know, but it goes off on tangents. Like it has these things about queens and then and queens from history come in, like Queen Elizabeth and Queen Catherine of Sweden, Catherine the Great of Russia. Um, So it's, it's, I'm trying to get my head around it right now. But
3: (laughs) I was going to say, there's no. This is Toby speaking. There's no plot, but how are you, how are you putting that in order?
5: Well, yeah. I mean, the first thing I did when I looked at it was I tried to find some sort of climactic, some sort of climax to it. You know, that's that's what every every theater director is taught. You know, like where, where is the peak? Of it, because in, in every in every play it happens in a different place, and there was there was one scene where these robber bees come in and take over the hive, um, and I don't think it was supposed to be the climax of, of the piece when it was originally written, but I just chose that as the climax, um, and uh, and that gave it and it sort of that helped divide it up into like three chapters.
0: So sure. I, th- I think
5: sure. I think it will make a little bit more sense for the audience, even though you know they don't necessarily speak English. <laughs> 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 Actually, maybe it's an ideal show to play for people who don't
0: speak English. One so. of your um, one of your ongoing projects has been the indie opera podcast. So it was around for a while. It went into hibernation. I'm going to call it. It's back now. When did you first join that project?
5: That happened. God, that was. I guess a few, maybe two, two or three years ago, um, there was a there's a company in Brooklyn called Vertical Player Repertory, um, and um, the conductor for that group, or the, the frequent conductor for that group, is Peter Zepp, and uh, he and I worked on a project with them called Water Music, which was an outdoor project in Brooklyn Bridge Park where we we did sections of certain operas that had to do with the water like the view from the bridge and um you know tabarro and um uh let's see tales of hoffman the scene in in venice um and after that and there was another there was another singer in that group named noah lethbridge and uh right after that they they had they had already been doing the podcast for a while and they invited me on and it was it was uh was, I was really surprised to be invited on. because so I don't, I don't, I don't think of myself as an opera expert necessarily. Like I never, I didn't grow up listening to opera or being exposed to a lot of opera. I was, I was more exposed to theater and circus and and I actually thought of myself as a, as a singer for a really long time before even before I was an actor or a director. Um, but it's it's been really fantastic uh, being on a podcast. It's just like. I mean I'm I'm curious to hear how how it is for you guys but
0: um... Well so it sounds like Peter was your play-by-play guy and Noah was your color commentator and you were that chick on the sidelines in the trench coat who we kind of look at every you know quarter <laughs>
5: Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's.
4: It. No, but the yeah, show—the I mean, show is
0: fantastic. Actually, it's really—it comes out once a month. It and it—it it does exactly what it says it's going to do, which it really is about very unique, unusual repertoire, composers, and productions. Mm-hmm. The indie yeah. opera podcast.
4: Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh uh-huh.
5: huh. Hmm. Yeah, and we—I think we have really interesting guests. A lot of composers. Um, occasionally, we'll have a singer. Uh, occasionally a director um, and uh, yeah Noah is kind of he's the musicologist so he's, he's a, he knows all of the history he's heard millions and millions of albums he knows all the singers um, Peter is he kind of looks at it from the musical standpoint as a, as a conductor and then I, I interview the person I, I go over their life and I ask them questions about their their experience and their past and um, a lot of more more dramatic questions about the work. So it's, yeah, it's fun. And then Brooke Larimer is, is a singer who is who's in the group also and it's nice to have her perspective.
0: And you, you tape it at the Opera America world headquarters.
5: That's right.
0: Yeah. The <laughs> in...
2: National Opera Centre. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh and you ever I mean you have a producer and someone who edits the whole thing as well?
5: Um actually it, yeah, the editing job has bounced around a little bit sometimes Sometimes Peter does it. Sometimes we have an engineer do it. Uh, but it is it is fun to do it there uh, because it's it's just very central and. Um, it's easier to get people into the studio and and the technology they have there, it makes it all easier. I mean, when we started, we were just doing it basically out of Peter's closet. You know, he had, we had this complicated (laughs) Skype set up where people would call and all of us were in different locations, you know, and I would frequently be in a different city uh, and we, and the person we were interviewing would be in like California or something. Oh my God. Uh, And so now it's fun to all be in the same room. And I mean, it's really... You know, it, it thrives on conversation, very lighthearted, you know, like yours. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's, yeah, I've been really in, enjoying it, actually.
0: It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM Chicago, talking to Walker Lewis. So, Walker, you and I have got so much in common. We're both directors and we're both dads. Just as a, a yeah. man-to-man conversation, uh, you've just had your daughter. She's 10 months old now. What's the biggest change in your life? Not even talking about opera or directing, the biggest change in your life— pre and post baby
1: wow,
5: wow that's um, i mean i think I think the concept of time is is what has changed the most because you know pre baby, my time was my own, you know I had a certain even even as a married man, you have a certain amount of freedom, you can basically go out basically
0: well that's very big you of you want. to say that
5: um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but with a baby you have very much, much less control over your time. Um, and, you know, I have to get up at 5.30 or, you know, 6 a.m. every day. And we um, have to. 6 a.m.,
0: man. You know, Toby on the show, he hasn't finished throwing up by 6. Oh, my it? gosh. Come <laughs> on, George. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah. I mean, it's, it's a shock because I, mean, I have to say, like, the rest of my life, I, I enjoyed being, I enjoyed my freedom. You know, and I, I, love, I love travel. Traveling with a baby is very different. Mm. You know, it's not like pass out on the plane and, you know, watch a movie. It's not that anymore. Now you're, like, feeding the baby, you're making sure she's yep. not uh, screaming her head off or whatever. So then how so, has and,
0: your your process of making art and directing, how has that changed now that you're a dad?
5: Um, I think it, it has to be a lot more deliberate. There has to be a lot more... I mean there there was always preparation, but now the preparation has to occur in a in an organized scheduled fashion so i can't I can't leave things to the last moment anymore That's just impossible so because there just aren't enough hours in the day for for me to be awake to do it last minute, so I need to plan much further in advance, and that's good. I think you know i I resisted the idea of of, I never really thought of myself as being a dad for a long time. Um, and uh, But now that I am a dad, it's it feels like it's the right time for it to happen. Because, How old are you? You know, I'm uh, 46.
2: Shut up. Are you <laughs> <Yeah>. really? <laughs> no, <Yeah>. he's not. <laughs> yeah, don't
5: tell
4: anyone that. But, <laughs> no, yeah. there's no way you're that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I, it's I, fine I, if you yeah. were. I'm not making fun of people who are 46.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. That, you, that you, I is loved, that the truth. The, I'm trying to figure let, it out. Leave the, the man alone. Leave the man alone. Okay. I, I love what you're yeah. saying, Walker, about the way you you, um, you use your time. Eric Einhorn, the director, who you may uh-huh. know. Yeah. I, I remember when he had his first child. Uh, it was this was in 2008, and I was his assistant at Wolf Trap, and I was thinking of having a family in a couple of years. I was talking to him, and he said, "You know what? After you have a kid, you make your art in the room." Mm-hmm. All that preparation time is gone, and like you have to make your art in the room, which I think is partly true. What you've said is also partly true. Is like It forces you to do more of that prep.
2: Yeah. Great. I know and you guys I, are getting I'm, off and of talking about being dads, but I want to ask a couple questions if there's time. So go ahead and finish. Yeah. Or, if you had a response to that, uh, please give it. Oh,
5: just that I, I, I haven't mastered that ability yet to make art in the room with a child. Uh, Oh, you mean in the room with the singers, or you mean in the room with the child?
0: Well, I meant with the singers, but actually now that you mention it, I think it actually cuts both ways.
5: Yeah, I mean I haven't, I have to say I still haven't um, pushed myself to take the risk of just like showing up to a rehearsal having no preparation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe someday I'll do that. Right now, I, I always like to have a backup plan but that—that that is actually something that I would like to do. I, I'm not—I'm not quite to that
2: point yet. <laughs> yeah. So listen, you, we have about we have about three minutes left, and I'm going to give you a chance to answer one of two questions. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about um, how your work in broke music. Uh, how that's influenced your directing and what you've learned about maybe historical uh, presentations since you work with a lot of like historically informed musicians. Or I want to talk about Lecoq School, because I think that clown training or that type mm. of movement training is awesome for directors to have to be able to understand like how the body works and how, you know, more uh the traditional form of theater can help a director or help actors, etc. So.
5: Well, I could answer both at the same time. Oh, good. Because I think, <laughs> I think the Lecoq training actually uh, is, is perfect for working on Baroque material. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I started doing Baroque, I didn't know anything about the historical um, ways of doing it, you know, whether there was a right and wrong in terms of gesture. And but I you're 46, coming... so you,
2: you were around in the Baroque, weren't you?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I was there before Baroque, baby. I was, I was there like ancient Greek. You know, the free, free, free. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, at Lacock School. You learn about gesture. You learn about composition. Mm-hmm. How how bodies move in a space uh, in relation to each other. How how you um, how you react to the space. Timing, movement. So that, that was how I thought about the gesture, and I just started creating those gestures. And um, people, the, core, the choreographer who saw it was like, oh, how did you, how did you know about that stuff? Did you, did you take a Baroque movement class or something? <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't say it at the time, but I just made it all up.
2: <laughs> no, but a lot of that Comedy dell'arte stuff is related yeah. to historical theater, or historical stagings. Yeah, so here's really a question for you. Yeah. Um, when yeah. you're casting, are, are you allowed to, do you pick your own cast or do the music directors pick casts for projects Sometimes. you're on? It okay, goes, so it goes back and forth. When you are
5: on new opera, I I have more of a say.
2: When you are making the casting decision, are you looking for people who, you know, have movement already as part of their presentation? Or are you looking for people who might have an aptitude based on what they're doing but maybe need some of your help or what is your what what are you looking out for?
5: I mean, I would I would always prefer someone who has movement aptitude. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's so many moments in opera, um, which which is one reason I enjoy directing opera more than theater in some ways. Uh, there's so many moments when you need movement to be just right. Um, you know where the singer is moving from A to B and and. Um, that movement has have to, have to capture the, the essence of, you know, of what's happening in the music, what's happening between the, the characters, the dynamics. And I just find music is so, cru- I mean, movement is so crucial to opera. Um, and that's why I think there's, it's very close to dance in some ways. Um, so, so sometimes when I'm directing opera, I feel like I'm almost choreographing. Um, but I don't I don't think of myself as being a choreographer because I'm not I'm not that great with all of the beats you know that that mm-hmm. you need to know as a professional dancer. Um, but uh, but yeah I I do I I do love that attitude. Although it is fun to work with students sometimes because they're so much more daring, and mm-hmm. you can you can throw something at at them and they will just say oh yeah I'll I'll try that. Whereas more more seasoned singers will say oh. I'm not really comfortable with that or I've never done that. That means I can't do it, you know, which is just such a narrow-minded way to think about, um, about anything. And so, so in that way, in that sense, I love working with younger singers. because They're just daring. Yeah. You you really need that.
2: Well, well, everybody's younger than you though. So.
0: (laughs) 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 Way, Walker, really appreciate you being on the show with us this evening. Thank you so much for your time.
5: Thanks so much. You guys have a fantastic show.
0: Hey, WalkerLewisDirector.com is his website. IndieOpera.com is where you can check out the Indie Opera podcast here on Opera Box Score. We're going to step aside for one second. We'll be right back.
1: Live from Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George Tobias.
2: And Oliver.
0: That's the show, all right. Opera box score, WNUR 89.3 FM. Did what? you have,
2: Norm, like record every permutation of host possible?
0: I do a little bit of editing
2: oh, Okay, on those. Okay, very good. Well, thanks, Norm, anyway. Thank you, Norm. <laughs> thank you, Walker
0: Lewis, as well. And thank I, you, Walker, I, for If you guys met him in person, he's, he's just, amazing. he's one of those guys that, like, you just want to hang out with.
2: He's amazing. And I just was reading, like, all of his stuff while you guys were talking and I realize that he's doing like so many interesting things, and I really would like to, uh, you know, you know. Well, he's a dad now, so I guess I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's not true. Oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, Tobias. Right, we skipped over you a little bit to get to our first guest, which is not a bad thing. But Definitely here you are back in thing. Chicago. You wrapped everything up in Sarasota. It all went well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Great.
3: Yeah, it was a great season. I got to, uh, got to make my debut there. Went on as a cover in. Um La Lamore di Trere. That was kind of fun. Um, I don't know. I had a good time. I, I learned a lot and I came back and I know a lot of things that I now have to continue to learn and that's what a young artist program is for.
2: Will you be able to use your Montemezzi ever again? Do you think you'll ever be in one of those? No. Yeah. How is it as a show?
3: Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. The orchestration is insane. Uh the singing's insane. I mean it's you know, it's early twentieth century stuff. It's yeah. it sounds like it's Puccini or Late Verdi oh, cool. in, in some ways. Um, and I don't know why it doesn't get performed, to be hmm. honest with you. It used to be performed quite a bit. Um, it no longer is. I don't know. I think it's been done in the United States three times in the last 60 years. But New York City opera's doing it next year. And Sarasota awesome. just did it. And I was in it. So Yeah, maybe go.
2: they'll need you at New York City. Like, cause since you I, know actually, it, I thought about that. Since you know it already. <laughs> you know what, what else you know? Stuff. You know William Boakum. I, well, I don't
3: know William Bolcom. No. Oh. I've met the man, but you're working on a William Bolcom. Yeah, we're thing. doing Bolcom with Chicago Fringe. George is directing oh, that. Oh, don't mention it. Now it's like too icky. Oh no, no, it's, <laughs> not, <is> it? <laughs> it's not too icky. That's a profession that doesn't exist here. But okay, uh, it's Lucrezia, William Bolcom. It's a one-act opera. It's and you're gonna be naked in it. I'm not gonna be naked, but I'm gonna. Oh. I'm gonna be only wearing a sheet. So nice. Ow, All right, ow, we nice. got lots
0: of time to catch up with Tobias <laughs> <laughs> on the show. George cuts. Itself. I'll see it move. I want to. I want to get to the two-minute drill. <laughs>
1: This just in, the two-minute drill.
0: Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in opera land, two minutes tops. Michigan Opera Theater founder David Dekira has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He said in a letter to employees obtained by Crane's Business Magazine, Dekira is 82. This year's Pulitzer Prize winner in music is 39-year-old Chinese-born composer Du Yun an accomplished singer and multi-instrumentalist, as well as a composer of genre-bending vocal and instrumental music, her winning opera was Angel's Bone. Soprano Christine Gerkey was featured in the New York Times this week in her recent Triumph in Wagner's Ring Cycle at the Canadian Opera Company. This comes on the heels of public admissions as to how close she was to giving up singing earlier in her career. Soprano Eva Pine, who launched her successful singing career with the Fort Worth and Dallas operas, is leaving the opera stage to pursue a career in medicine. Heading overseas, English National Opera has just scrapped its plan for a residency in Blackpool. The company told Press that ENO has, quote, been in discussions with Blackpool Council to confirm new dates for the postponed performances of the Mikado. Those are no longer happening. The Royal Danish Theatre in Copenhagen has named John Full James as its next head of opera. Full James has been associate director of opera for the Royal Opera in London since 2011. Pierre Audi's successor as head of Dutch National Opera will be Sophie de Lint. Born in Rotterdam, she was raised in Switzerland. She succeeds Pierre Audi after 30 years on the job, September 1st, 2018. In the aw shucks department, soprano Anna Trebko was asked in an interview with Town & Country magazine, quote, what have you learned from failure? Her reply, quote, I haven't made that many mistakes. On the disabled list this week, mezzo soprano Joyce Dinanato has withdrawn from the upcoming European performances of Handel's Ariodante with conductor Harry Bickett and the English concert. Alice Coote will fill in for her. And finally, on this day, or rather tomorrow, tenor George Shirley turns 84 and soprano Catherine Malfitano gets 59 candles on her cake. That is the two minute drill. A lot there, gentlemen to discuss uh, who wants to pick a topic. Anna Trepka co- saying first. I haven't made that many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> she is such a pain in the ass. I just Oh come on. She's and great. That just, should that not drive me up the wall?
3: I'm hey, you're entitled to feel how you want to feel George. Um talking about the Pulitzer Prize though, uh, the Do Yun opera Angel's Bone, I if you look on the I don't know if we're gonna post that on the website, but it's available online and there's clips from it. Uh, whoa what a cool show. And I was thinking about it, you know, as a singer, I was like, you know what? That's why you say yes to things, because you never know when you're going to stumble across something incredible. And the production of that was phenomenal. And the story is about drug tra- or, uh, 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 sex trafficking. So it's an oddly topical um, source. I don't know. I, I kind of am glad that that's what it was, that the Pulitzer Prize went to a new opera that is about a controversial... To a new
0: opera, yeah. to a non-Native uh, American composer, to a female composer. Thank you. I yeah, female mean, composer. That,
3: the music is incredible, too. And you Pulitzer can tell that really she does some experimental on. vocalizing techniques. I, I mean, look, techniques let's, yeah, let's yeah. be
0: clear. What one was the piece, not the person. Correct. But it's only the piece. of benefit that that person is so unique and so multifaceted. Not, uh,
2: straight white male.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I really want to see that. It was at prototype festival as well. Uh the clip we can definitely put the clip on the website, OperaBoxcore.com.
2: So Christine Gerkey, it's so lovely to see a beautiful big article about her that everybody's sharing. And um and this isn't necessarily a, a news per se, but it's nice that we get to hear that people can have struggles. People can you know, in the middle of their career after already, you know, getting the thumbs up from young artists programs and competitions, getting to a point where you're, uh, you know, on a big stage and thinking, I'm not really singing that well, this isn't working. What am I going to do? Am I going to quit? And instead, you know, realizing that you're this different voice type and really growing into these big roles like Electra and, you know, the, the, Brunhilde. yeah. And, people going ape poop over it because it's amazing you know Mm -hmm. so it just goes to show you like trust yourself you know listen to yourself and go go where you are comfortable and only when you like fully actualize when you fully realize can you achieve what you're meant to achieve you know
3: i love that that was being shared all over facebook by a lot Mm -hmm. of young singers or singers my age i guess i'm not young but i think well, you're younger than Walker Lewis, so... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let him go. <laughs> <laughs> Let I just want to know, live. how old is he? Is he 46 or not? Well, he said he was 46. Hey, I, I don't the believe you have a contested to, to like us. He's,
0: he's not 46. Okay.
3: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. b- back to... Uh, I, there's a lot to be learned from the Christine Gerke story yeah. because uh, I think you do have to trust yourself. And it was interesting of note in there is she went to her teacher and had to leave her teacher. And I've always thought, you know, that shouldn't be a big, emotional, crazy thing. Teachers are just that. They're teachers. Mm-hmm. And if... If you feel that it's not helping you any longer, I think sometimes singers get afraid to approach a teacher and say, I'm not comfortable anymore, and I think a change needs to be made. And how beautiful is that that it worked out for her? And yeah. I'm sure that they maintained a relationship. I'm not saying that it was ugly, but like I'm glad that uh, she had the wherewithal to say something's not right, and I, ha- I know that there's more that I'm capable of.
2: And she's just a super down-to-earth person. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I'm friends with her on Facebook. I don't know her personally, but I see a lot of her you know, glimpses into her personal life, and she's able to have it all. Like, she has, you know, a family, you know, that, that she loves very much, and she is able to, like, talk to her children all the time. Two daughters, and, yeah. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, and she tries to get back to New Jersey where she lives as much as possible, even though that, you know, she's being contracted all over the world, you know. Speaking of people making career changes, Ava Pine, a really fantastic soprano I've heard, I believe, at um, Florentine Opera in Milwaukee, uh, decided that she's going to hang it up and she's going
0: to become a therapist. She's a great soprano. She was at Wolf Trap in the production of Handel's Alcina that I AD'd on. Drink. Uh, dude, <laughs> I did not say drink when you name-dropped Christine Gerke on your Facebook feed. <laughs> Whatever, like, she's friends with little, like 5,000 people. So a little respect. Um she, in this article, uh, Ava says, "quote I am about to start at Columbia University in June to pursue a Master of Science in Nursing and ultimately move into a specialization in psychiatric and mental health." Hell that's, yeah!
2: Yeah. Well, her parents apparently are both in medicine, or maybe even. Yes, in I think health, that's. You know? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, who better to uh, understand neuroses than a soprano? You know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for people. Anybody who's into. It mental health and helping people i support that career. i
2: need it so badly i I'm know so, i am wound up so tight <laughs> and i just love straight boys and wearing sheets so. it's
0: <laughs> opera box score on wnur 89.3 fm baritone daniel teat joining us in 10 minutes for his own takes on singing teaching and being a dad just got to quickly go to the top story about michigan opera theater founder david Dequera. and do not say drink when i say that i've met Dr. D, as he's affectionately known. I've had dinner with him, and this is, this is really crushing news. Now, he had decided to step down from being the general manager of MOT, I think, in February of this year. So everybody knew that he was leaving. What they did not know was this is some seriously bad news about this cancer.
3: I don't think he knew either, did he?
0: Uh, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say. It's, mm-hmm. it's not clear if he, the company knew and somebody leaked that to the Crane's business magazine. But first of all, that man has been in Detroit for 20, 30 years. Someone call in or, or tweet us at Opera Box or let me know exactly what the number is. The fact of the matter is this. Should Detroit... Have an opera company. On paper, when you look at it, should it have an opera company? The answer is no. This is a city that is broke. This is a city that has lost population, that has lost money. And yet, here is a guy who has worked tirelessly to keep opera, not only in Detroit, but it's made opera as almost as big as sports. I'm going to argue that. The opera house, which he was instrumental in building.
3: And reopening. and Is that what it was? And reopening is literally six.
0: between Ford Field, where the Detroit Lions play, and There's Comerica sports. Park, Finally where the, the Tigers box play. Uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been to all three. Parking can be a nightmare, but uh, this is just totally crushing news. And uh, yeah, bless his heart. And yeah. that's
2: not an easy one. The pancreas, like any of those, yeah. like organs that are like in your tummy and in your back, like yeah. those are usually the really, really tough ones. So God bless this family.
0: One person I do not envy is this is Sophie De Lint, who is succeeding Pierre Audi as the head of Dutch national opera. All right. This is a very, very important European opera company. Pierre Audi has been running that company for 30 years, and she is going to take over. Those are some very, very big shoes to fill. Now this is what's interesting about Pierre Audi, is that he is a very accomplished director. I think that one of the problems with American opera companies is that the general managers aren't stage directors. And so when they're looking about how to run their companies and how to program them, they're not looking at them from a director's point of view. That, I think, is a change that could really help this art form in this country. If more stage directors were running companies, you look at the big companies out there, the Met not being run by a stage director, San Francisco not being run by a stage director, Houston, not being run by a stage director. I can only think of, and boys, correct me if I'm wrong, Washington National Opera, run by Francesca Zambello, accomplished stage director. Is there another big opera company out there that's being run?
3: Um, Well,
2: Andres Mitisek, a (laughs) A while ago. I
3: don't know, and I honestly don't, I I hadn't thought of that as, uh, I, I know that there are a lot of singers out there who do that, right, Oliver, who leave the business and then get into running the business. I'd be more... I, it's interesting that George brings up the director perspective because, you know, he's a director. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I, well, Walker apparently was trained as a singer. And um, whatchamacallit. Uh, I'm a singer, and I also dabbled in directing. Mm-hmm. And I would love to...
3: Run an opera company?
2: Absolutely. I would love to do it. <laughs> but first, I have to, like, take my lumps doing whatever I'm doing at my current job right now. You know, and some yeah. people know who I am. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I've heard from a really wise conductor that you do need artists in admin. There are not enough yeah. people who understand, you know, who understand what it is to be on stage, what it is to, you know, to be a part of it, that type of ex- uh, art creative team, yeah. you know. And sometimes you get people like, for example, Peter Gelb, you know, who maybe has some musical background way before, or George Steele did, I remember, but Peter Gelb, he was like in advertising. He was like working for Sony Records, you know. He wasn't making the art, you know. Yeah.
3: Well, it's, it's a different perspective, that's for sure. And, I don't know, I've liked working for people who I know have been in the business of singing. Mm-hmm. Because then you're, you're more apt to trust what they're telling absolutely. you to do. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, 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 You know what you're saying because you've done it. Yeah. George. But as far as the Dutch National Opera thing goes, yeah. somebody has to do it. Might as well be her.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: That's, that's how I would feel about that.
0: You know, I'm I'm going to add just finally, before we go to... Daniel, in a few minutes, um, Joyce D. Donato, I was so impressed when I r- saw her thing on Wikipedia saying that she was going to get out of the business. Did you see that, Oliver?
2: That Joyce D. Donato was going to get out of the business? I'm sorry, what, on Wikipedia? What no, <laughs> no, no, no.
3: On the disabled list. Uh-huh. Um, she did announce on her Facebook page that she's canceling a few of her performances. Did she say why? Yeah, actually, she was really open about it. She said she had some cysts. Um, Joyce Donato? Yeah, and that she was having them removed, and that they... Uh, i didn't sound like it was going to be a, a long or lengthy process. She yeah. said she wanted to get it done sooner rather than later because um, one of her sisters had had complications with it before. So,
2: Are we talking about vocal...
3: No. She said it had nothing to do with her vocal mechanism. Okay. It is a pure, purely not vocal thing. Yeah, so I miss, Joyce, Joyce I is going to be back.
2: Okay.
0: I said she was getting out of the business. That I totally... She's going to she's have
3: to
2: take a medical leave. Okay. Cool. But she's I coming mean, back. She's great. Do you watch she's, your Facebook videos? I, you know, I... She makes you feel like you're her friend. <laughs> <laughs> she is so nope. lovely, but I have a lot of friends.
0: Well, I don't drink. have a lot of friends. Thank you. You, 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 were, you did a self-drink there. Yeah. Uh, I, this is one of the first videos I've seen from a singer when they they look right into the computer screen. They're in their crummy apartment in mm. Strasbourg, or wherever she was, and she was like, I've got to tell you something. And it was so earnest. Yeah. I, I was moved. No, is, I yeah. was genuinely moved. And maybe not everyone can... Pull it off like Joyce DiDonato can.
2: That that is one of her very special talents. She's able to really like break down the walls between her yeah. and the audience. It so.
0: was brilliant, Oliver. And you know, I don't throw out a lot of praise like that. I nope. was very, I just thought it was so classy. Hmm. You know, it
3: was interesting. She wasn't in like her PJs. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate what you're saying, George, because a lot of singers, you, there's so much mystery surrounded by missing and canceling performances. Um, Brent Turfle.
2: So just a little quick story. Um, Joyce was uh, at the Harris Theater um, last winter, Mm -hmm. and somebody uh, on our team uh, and the admin um, is suffering from some medical issues. And they did a dress rehearsal, and they had somebody come in and film, and she sang this beautiful, like, almost religious uh, aria from a Handel oratorio. And at the very end of it, Joyce looks right into the camera and says to this person— we're thinking of you over here. We wish you could be here right now. And, like, none of us expected her to do that. And we're all watching this, video. we all, like, burst into tears <laughs> simultaneously. It was so amazing, yeah.
0: That's wonderful. After the break, it's our new segment, The Home Team, which focuses on the opera news right here in Chicago. Tonight we talk with award-winning baritone Daniel Teat. Don't miss it. Keep it locked on WNUR 89.3 FM and Opera Box score
1: live from chicago you're listening to opera box score more right after this From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Oliver the Man Camacho.
6: doesn't remember his name. Cousin Kurt sent him a hug and thinks, That's okay, well I'll be out here taking care of him. I'll be here when his health turns around. I'll be the one holding him close and say,
2: That was pretty awesome, huh? Bravo! Yeah, um, that was uh, a recording of Daniel Teat singing uh, the role of Charlie, I want to say, uh, from the opera, uh, Jake, Jake Heggie's opera, Three Decembers. It's kind of a gay opera. Um, and that was recorded live from a performance in Pittsburgh. Is that right, Mr. Teat?
7: That is right. Yeah, that is right.
2: Yeah, so he wanted me to play, by the way, everybody, that's Daniel on the phone. He wanted me to play another aria that was like from a different act that was a little bit more... I don't know, less extroverted. Uh, this one was so gay, and I had to play the gay one. I'm sorry. <laughs>
7: yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I understand. No, um, you're talking I was, to. I was going to ask you who that cut rate baritone was, but I, I guess put me, so <laughs> I, I shouldn't have asked that. Oh well.
2: So everybody, um, this is Dan Teet. He is going to be our hometown segment today. Even though we're talking to you, you're in Pittsburgh right now.
7: I am in Pittsburgh right now. I okay. am indeed, yes.
2: So the occasion for this phone call is that uh, Dan is going to be in Chicago just in a couple of days uh, to prepare for a recital with the Collaborative Arts Institute of Chicago. Uh, right. At this point, I have to say, as the premier um, pres- presenter for uh, vocal recitals with top-notch singers, we've had Eileen um, Aileen Perez do this thing. We've had David Daniels. Uh, so many people have done. I can't even remember the names. That there's like, oh, Paul Appleby was last year. Uh, yeah, amazing, amazing singers, and all singers who are not just great opera singers, but who also have the art of the song inside of them, which is not everybody can do. I mean, I don't want to hear. God bless her, Anna Trepko sing. You know, a, a recital of art songs.
7: There's no comment here. I'm not commenting <laughs> on that.
2: So the reason why Dan is the hometown is because Dan, tell us a little about your relationship uh, to Chicago.
7: Well, you know, I I grew up outside of Chicago in St. Charles, uh, Illinois, and I, a lot of my family still lives in Chicago and around the area. I'm oh, a okay, lot so you'll
2: have around. an audience. Oh, yeah, we don't we don't need to push the the show anymore. There'll, pl- there'll be plenty of people there, huh?
7: Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sort of built in. Um, and I spent a lot of time in Chicago as a kid. I, I spent a lot of time uh, at the Art Institute and you know at the Lyric, and uh, I went to school at the University of Illinois downstate. So I'm an Illinois boy, um, tried and true. And uh, after that, I, I did some traveling and I started working and stuff. But that that's really where I was. I was born and raised, and I, I went to school. Um, at St. Charles High School I had a great choir teacher there and a voice teacher, and kind of got me started on the whole the whole
2: track. Would you say that your choir teacher is the one who kind of Sparked you, you know, sparked the interest oh, and, sure. gave, and gave you the bug, you know, yeah, not that for type sure. of bug like when you're 15, but yeah,
7: it was, a bug, it was a bug. It stayed with me all these years. Um, <laughs> he was my voice teacher and my my choir teacher and is a great my first mentor, you know.
2: He I've had amazing. one of those too. My high school choir teacher introduced me. He took me to, took me to Rheingold. That was like the first opera I ever saw. What? That was like the wrong <laughs> opera to take <laughs> me to, but nevertheless, uh, I still became hooked. You know,
7: no, for sure. The first opera I saw at the Lyric was Meister Singer. Ugh, and, uh, people taking people to Wagner opera. I have the calluses still, but I, I sat through the whole thing, and it was, I mean, fantastic. I got the bug after saying that.
2: Huh. So another thing that is related to the Chicago area is that you did one of my favorite programs, uh, which is the Steen's Institute for Young Singers um, mm-hmm. at the Ravinia Festival, which to me is one of the few, besides like Marilyn Horne's program, um, the few programs that specialize in developing, uh, you know, leader recitals and art song recitals. Right. Uh, What was your experience like over there, and who did you work with? It
7: was pretty fantastic, I have to say. I, uh, you know, I showed up, and and I was a little intimidated, uh, but one of my idols, Hogan Hagergore, the baritone, was there. He uh, sang a Vinterreiter while we were there and coached us on Norwegian songs and Swedish songs, and we worked with Martin Katz. We worked with a whole host of people. And I mean, it really, just it, it, if anything, it just intensified the feeling of of art songs for me and my connection to them, and then it's stuck with me since then.
2: So earlier in the show, and if you were listening, about we were talking to uh, director Walker Lewis, and uh, the end of the conversation sort of went towards how he is now uh, a father and how that might, you know, inform how he works. Um, that's something that's that's happened to you as well. You got somebody pregnant, apparently. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out she was also my wife. Oh, good. Good. thank God.
7: So, yeah. Thank you. yeah. It all worked out.
2: So I want to say <laughs> that like, I think that you're living the dream and I was going to put this out there for you young, impressionable singers to be able to do like young artists programs. What were the young artists programs? You did you did? Marola or you did?
7: I did. I did okay. Marola. I did, um, of St. Louis, was okay. my first one. And then I spent, um, uh, two summers at Maryland, San Francisco yeah and then I did um two summers at Central City Opera as well,
2: right. And then you were part of the New York city opera revival when when they did that um Telemont Orpheus
7: right, right. right. in two thousand and twelve I came back uh, Or I, I had done some work there um right after I'd done the Pittsburgh Opera. I was mm-hmm. an apprentice there as well, and started with city opera and um they called me back in in two thousand and twelve to do Orpheus it was it was tumultuous time, but it was definitely it was a fantastic.
0: And then Dan, hey, it's George. So, where in this whole process, you know, did you become a parent, and and how did everything? What was the thing that changed before and after that, as regarding your career?
5: Right.
7: So, you know, I had I had basically my wife and I had talked about a lot about my career, and um, we had decided that you know it, it would be opera, and I would do opera, and I'd be gone for weeks and, and months at a time, and and then. Uh, when we decided to have kids, it things just changed, and there's a there's a big switch in you and um there's it's sort of i people ask me you know when they they're about to have kids what their best advice is and I so said there's really no advice, but it's just sort of a new normal that you take on and it's a new set of rules and the set of rules for us and for me is that it's just too much time away from my family and you know those people I really want to spend time with the most and so I spent a lot of time really honing my craft as an as a art song singer and a, as a concert singer. And I'm also a professor of voice here in, at Carnegie Mellon here in Pittsburgh. So um, I spent a lot of time doing that. And, you know, I, I, I love doing it. I love performing, but I, I love being a, a family man as
2: well. Well, D- Daniel and, and George, thank you for tying up my, all my loose ends. That's what I was trying to get at here, <laughs> is that um, to me, living the dream is to being able to, you know, have had this stage career and now being able to choose your projects and to have like a steady income from teaching as a professor at a renowned, you know, institution and still being able to, you know, travel when you want to and concertize uh I mean right. I think I think that's that's great and we can all, all only hope to have that much balance uh, in our lives. It took some
7: struggle but it, we got there. We're we're here now. So we're 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 living it the dream as well as we can.
0: And what would you say to your kid Kids, I'm sorry, how many children do you have? I
4: have two. Two, okay, I yeah. have
0: two, yeah. What would you say to either of them uh, if they wanted to go into instrumental music or vocal music or directing or conducting or stage managing into what could be a life in the theater? Is that something that would be attractive to you? Would you be wary of that? Would you be proud of that? How would you feel?
7: I would feel like I would give them um, all the money in the world to do something else. That's why I was, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I would love it. I, I mean, honestly, I would love it if if they played an instrument or they, they had an interest in the arts. I, so far, I don't know. You know, my oldest is four and a half. My youngest is um, almost two. He's about twenty months or so. And right now, they're really into beating each other up. So, mm. and let me, they're both boxers. I think maybe or wrestlers. Um, so is your is really your spouse
2: sure. an artist of some sort?
7: Uh, no, she's not. No, she's uh, – we met uh, while I was at Pittsburgh Opera, and she was in marketing then, but she's – no, she, she's not connected with the arts at all, but she is – she keeps my head on straight, and she keeps mm-hmm. me thinking in the right direction. And, um, yeah, I think Christine Berkey's sort of husband's
2: like a construction worker or something like that. She's,
7: she's, not, she's not a construction worker either, but <laughs> she could be. I mean, she, you know, she's strong enough to. Um, she, no, she's sort of the captain of the ship, and I'm just, uh, I'm just on board.
2: Hmm. So here's something out of left field that George doesn't know about. Uh, you and Anne Carolyn Bird, and I forget who else you mentioned, started
7: Matt Burns. Yeah. And Matt
2: Burns, and yeah. Matt Burns started a business called Magnum Opus. Tell us about yes. that.
7: Okay, so this is one of the, the loves of my life right now because, I mean, on top of, of course, so this my family, there's singing, there's, there's Carnegie Mellon, but also, also I decided to start a bit, which I thought was a good idea, with all my spare time. So Matt and I, um, we got together. Matt had this brilliant idea that he wanted to pair up voices with wine because you know, sommeliers and wine experts and uh, critics oftentimes, or opera critics, talk about wine and voice very much the same way. They use the same vocabulary, you know, they, they use the same words that sort are, of are describe a voice or describe a wine.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: And we discovered that there was this great love between us for both of these things. So we've put together these programs um, and these tasting concerts that you basically, we profile voices. And Matt works for the Master Sommelier in New York, and he comes up with these these great um, wines that match those voices perfectly. Hmm. And then we have a musical advisor who helps us shape the programs and put together the the pieces that are really going to show off those voices best. And we've been able to sort of present these programs in a number of different cities, and the response has been really great, and I've I've been overjoyed with that because it's um, seeing people react to either the voice or the wine or both or having that experience of having a total sensory experience like that. It's really, pretty special. And, um, you know, I'll tell you honestly, on paper, I thought, this is great. And I really hope this works but at the very first concert we did in Pittsburgh here I sat back after I was done singing and I, I drank a little bit of the wine and I listened to Anne Carolyn sing and I thought oh my gosh this actually works this actually works this is a real experience <laughs> you sound so
3: surprised so, so, I mean it's kind no, of genius sounds,
0: okay.
2: that sounds
3: so incredible so,
2: so two things one uh, name a famous singer that most of us have heard of and tell us what the wine pairing is And then, oh my gosh and then, okay. tell, and then tell us what, what wine you are that we know. It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
7: <laughs> okay,
3: so let's I mean say, I meant um, to say a
2: singer more famous than you. That's why. Oliver <laughs> Oliver's swimming. a
3: cheap rosé. Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm a high acid
2: Riesling.
7: I I was going to say uh, I'm a box wine. I'm sort of like a <laughs> Bronzie guy. Yes. <laughs> um I think, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm actually, well, so Matt actually profiles a lot of it, and, and I, he turns out, I'm a like, Grenache, it turns
2: out. Mm, I know Grenache, and, yeah. Um, so, which is not the, bad. The French Grenache or the Spanish Carnacha?
7: This is the Spanish, yes. Oh, okay. The, Spanish Grenache, right.
2: Right. the um, Spanish Grenache is a little bit more fruity, I have to say, and then you sang through December, so two plus two.
7: Right, you know, right, <laughs> we're, we're two strikes in. So, um, I, I'm going more for the Spanish end. Is that less fruity? Is that...
2: The the French grenaches tend to be drier and more earthy, and the Spanish ones tend to be more fruit forward. Oh, I find I find on to something then. No. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, but they both okay. are very terroir driven. He's going to talk to somebody to, up,
3: yeah. to test whether or not yeah. you're correct
2: about
0: <laughs> this. <also. laughs> I, I'm, right. I'm on your website now, man. You you've got uh, you've right. got a tasting coming up at Wolf Trap. We do, yeah, summer.
7: and and we're profiling um, Simon O'Neill, who uh, is a good friend of ours and uh, a health tenor who's yes, having a is. wonderful <laughs> career. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so he's gonna be there doing that
2: well the uh c a i c uh recital is with uh artistic director shannon McGuinness. uh you'll be singing uh a Poulenc set was it which la or which which set is it or it's television Oh, who it me. isn't that for tenor what are you doing with that
7: uh i i don't like to say okay. i i don't like to commit okay i'm I'm somewhere right in between there
2: oh yeah, i see it it keeps adding up. <laughs> You're also doing Songs of a Wayfarer, which are some of my favorite. And, I am, yeah. And then what is the other set? I forgot already.
7: So I'm doing a collection of, of written folk songs. Oh, as
2: well. excellent. Well, that, that performance is this coming Sunday, uh, April mm-hmm. 23rd at 3 o'clock at Panaforte, which is the former uh, employer of our, our own Giovanna Jacques. She doesn't work there anymore. And uh-huh. uh, we want to extend a discount to listeners of Opera Box Score if you buy your tickets online, use the code uh, Wayfarer, or in German, Wehfair, uh for a 30% discount on tickets to see handsome Dante. Dante, you sort of missed the whole Barahunk thing. I mean, like you were there right at the beginning of it. Then you like started guess, singing songs, yeah. and now nobody knows how gorgeous you are. That's actually well, how... Toby was asking me, how do I know him? Um, he was on Opera Now like 10 years ago or something okay. like that. And I remember right. doing my research on him when he still had dark hair, I was like, oh my God, he's so beautiful. My dude, God. Oliver, you're just throwing shade around everybody tonight,
0: dude. You'd be an aegis all over the place. Hey, uh, Daniel really appreciate you being on the show with us tonight. My pleasure. And again, that uh, CAIC program this Sunday, April 23rd, three o'clock. We are going to say goodbye to you, sir, and we're going to wrap this show up.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, guys.
0: Ciao. Good call.
1: Bad goal on Opera Box Score.
0: Oh man, this hour goes fast. Fast, fast, fast. Wow. Walker Lewis, Dan Teat, two dads. <laughs> You're a dad. Drink two <laughs> Opera men.
2: Yes, heterosexual. Yeah, yeah and, yeah.
0: and I would argue living the dream, probably. You yeah. know, two working, guys who were doing it. Doing, two guys who were doing it, you know? <laughs> and, oh, no. <laughs> Wait a second. You made me say that, Oliver Camacho. All right, good call, bad call. Oh. Uh, I got nothing.
2: I've got so much. So, Toby, you got one?
0: I want to hear yours.
2: Okay, I've got a couple. One. Yeah. Um, Go check out Dan everybody. You heard him sing. He's amazing. He's a nice guy. He's a nice dad. Maybe he'll give you a wine recommendation after you hear him sing. So that's on Sunday. Other thing is we have to push it because they were just our guests last week. Uh, But go check out The Perfect American uh, Chicago Opera Theater. It's their last appearance at the Harris Theater. And it's Philip Glass's birthday year. So Well, he has a birthday every year, I guess. But the thing I really want to promote to you all, if you're in Chicago... Uh, is a brand new organization uh, called Third Coast Baroque. Uh, they are doing their second performance with the acclaimed conductor Ruben Dubrovsky, who's amazing specialist in Baroque music and amazing cast of singers. Uh, their show this uh, time around is called Groove, and it's all about um, rhythmic forms, uh, the chacan, the pascalia. Um It's going to be a great program. Uh, it's three times this weekend, Friday, thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday check out their website thirdcoastbaroque.org.
3: Tobias right. Uh, my good call is that I'm I'm back in yeah. Chicago for a little bit oh. and I get to sleep in my own bed and be around my friends and oh. Oh. it's just been so nice to be here for the last few days nice. and get settled back in.
0: My my good call would be that the perfect american as well. There's only two performances I'm not quite sure why that is.
2: So that they can get press so people can see it on Saturday and talk about it, and then the next weekend is sold out. So that's sort of our job, to go see it on Saturday and say nice things on Monday.
0: Well, I'll be there on <laughs> the Sunday.
2: I, oh, you're going to see I it can't. the second time around? Yeah. Oh, I okay. mean, I
0: wish I could go earlier and, and help promote it, but but uh, my dad, he's a subscriber, and he's, he goes to the Sunday matinees. He drives yeah. in from Michigan, and we go together. So. Oh. Hey, that's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. At WNUR, the programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Ducey. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share and comment on our posts, or tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Hey, if you like what you hear, help promote our show, leave a review on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho, and the co-host is Tobias Wright. For our guests, Walker Lewis and Dan Teat, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera for the amount of time it takes to eat an entire Cadbury's cream egg. We're back next Monday at 9 Central for more fun and games. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment. Thank you.